Amen. And you tonight have come to a very special night. Uh, you're in for a treat uh, this evening. And we have a very special speaker that's going to be speaking to you. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of confidence in this person. I know them quite well. Uh, they are a dedicated uh, child of God who loves the Lord with all their heart. And they've got a word from the Lord tonight. And I want them to come and speak that word to us. I'd like to ask Sister Sophia Urshan to come. Amen. And could you just stand with me and put your hands together and receive her as she comes to deliver the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just give that to God right now? Why don't we praise him for his goodness? Praise him for his mercy. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we worship you. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel the presence of God so strongly in this place right now. When we were singing, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, we love you. I could feel his presence just sweep across this place. And it makes me so excited for what God is going to do today. I'm so excited. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe God has given me a word for his people today. And I'm just so excited to be here on a family night with my church family. You are my church family. I'm so excited. I want to I wanna honor my pastor, my father, for asking me and giving me this opportunity to share with you what God has placed on my heart. And I know God is going to do mighty things by the end of this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to turn our Bibles, if you would, with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse 13. John chapter 9, verse 13. And the word of the Lord says, They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Now I see. And by the help of the Lord, 
I'll be preaching or teaching or whatever God pulls out of my mouth <laughs> to you all the title. I was blind, now I see. I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Jesus, I pray right now that you will move in this service, that you will anoint me, Lord, and that you will bring whatever you need to be brought forth, and that you will break the chains that are binded right now, and that you will bring the captivity free. In the name of Jesus, we declare healing in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The lyrics of this famous hymn, Amazing Grace, was written in 1772 by a man named John Newton. John Newton started out as a British slave trader. But when the evil he was doing was revealed to him, his life was turned around by God's amazing grace. He repented and left his wicked lifestyle, and he became a pastor. Newton went from being a slave trader to later helping in the British slave trade. And this hymn, Newton recognizes and states who he once was. A wretch, lost, blind. But the objective of the hymn was not just to point out who he once was, the objective of this beautiful hymn is to show that although he was a wretch, that's not who he is now. And although he was lost, now he is found. And although he was blind, now he sees. And it's all because of God's amazing grace towards him. In John 9, we see at the beginning of this chapter that Jesus and his disciples were walking together. And as they were walking through the city, they came upon a man who had been blind since his birth. He was a blind beggar that was broken in his infirmities. And his disciples asked him this very interesting question. They asked Jesus, they said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And what they're asking him there is clearly that somebody at some point in time had to commit a sin for this man to have something so terrible happen to him at the very beginning of his life. They viewed the broken blind man's circumstance as a punishment that resulted from a sin. They wanted to know who committed this terrible sin that caused this man to be born blind. And Jesus replies to them and says, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the work of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, that the power of God may be shown through him. This blind beggar was about to have an encounter with his creator. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man obeyed him, and he did everything that Jesus had instructed him to do, and doing so, the man received his sight. And when the man came back from receiving his sight, the neighbors couldn't recognize him. The Bible says they had to ask, is this not the man that sat and begged? Some said this is he, others said it is like him. But the former blind man walked back and stated, I 
am he. I am he, the one who sat on the side of the road begging for mercy. I am he, the one who lived in fear because I couldn't see who was around me. The one who didn't know what the next day held. I am he. The man was once identified as the blind beggar on the side of the road, but he no longer was ashamed to admit it. Instead, he declares his miracles and says, I am he. Although the neighbors saw him day by day, they still, they still questioned who he was. He may have looked like the former blind beggar, but they couldn't recognize him. And it's not just because his circumstances changed, but because his demeanor changed. His attitude had shifted. He no longer stooped down as a victim, but he began to carry himself like a victor. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he will not only heal you, but he will restore you. The miracle is only the setup for the transformation. Once God gets a hold of you, he will start to change the way you speak, change the way you respond to others, change the way you once viewed people and things, and the people you've been around all your life, they won't even be able to recognize you. And listen, don't be ashamed of where you came from. Don't be ashamed of what you have come out of. Instead of being ashamed, be grateful for the restoration and transformation within the miracle that God has performed in your life. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So the people began to ask him, how are your eyes open? How, how did this come to be? And the man began to tell them all that Jesus had instructed him to do and how he obeyed Jesus, and by doing so, he received his sight. But when the man came back after receiving his sight, he, he didn't know where Jesus was or even what he looked like. But the people wanted answers. So they did this. They brought the man to the Pharisees. Now, you may have heard of these guys, the Pharisees, they believed they were holier than anyone or anything. They believed in the law of Moses, but they rejected Jesus Christ. They believed they were the wisest, holiest, greatest thing out there. They walked with pride and had arrogance surrounding them, yet they viewed themselves as holy men. So the people brought him to the Pharisees, but when the Pharisees found out this disheartening news, that a man who had been born blind was healed on the Sabbath day, which was the day of rest. And the Pharisee said, this man is not of God. They're talking about Jesus. This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees then began to do what they do best, ask questions. Over and over, they ask the former blind man questions. What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews could not wrap their minds around the fact that this man that is standing in front of them had once been blind, and now all of a sudden he can just see. They could not wrap their minds around this concept, so they needed proof. So they called the parents of him that had received his sight, and they asked them, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? You want to know what the enemy loves to do after we come upon a breakthrough. He loves to take us back. He loves to take us back to where the blindness began, where the confusion was birthed, 
where the pain started. He tries to fool us by taking us back to who we once were, telling us there's no way you can see now. Do you know what you've done? There's no way you're different than who you are. There's no way you can truly love God if this is who you once were. He will try to fool us into looking for the answers in our past. He will take our mind back to the time and place when the collapse happened. He will torment us by making us believe we can figure it out if we just think about it more deeply. He tries to get us to deny the miracle that has taken place in our own lives by taking us back to the people and back to the things that could identify us when we were lost. And you want to know why the devil tries to get us to focus on identifying with our past? Because he doesn't want us to understand that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. The Bible says don't even consider about what used to be. Behold, I will do a new thing. And if we understand that we are a new creature in Christ, then we will also understand that our past is erased. And now not only are we a new creature, but all things around us become new as well. So the Pharisees again called the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Let me just take a moment here. God loves our praise. He, he commands us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But the devil doesn't mind if you give God praise on a Sunday. He doesn't care if you shout. He's fine if you clap your hands and leap or stomp, just as long as that's all you do. Because we can shout all we want and not truly know the one we're shouting for. We can leap for joy because of the goodness of God and yet be so naive to the goodness of God in our own lives. The devil doesn't mind if you give God praise on a Sunday just as long as you don't live a lifestyle of worship on a Monday. Just as long as you don't start worshiping and gaining revelation of who Jesus is in your own life. Because when you gain revelation that Jesus is your healer, that Jesus is your provider, that he is your comforter and your peace. When you receive understanding that the same God who created you is the same God that died for you. He knows that if you taste and see that the Lord is good, then your praise will begin to turn in to pure worship from the revelation that you have received of God in your own life. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. They said, give God praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And the blind man answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. He knows a miracle has taken place in his life, but he doesn't truly know the one who did it. I wonder how many miracles have taken place in our own lives, and yet we don't realize that it was from Jesus. I wonder how many miracles happen day by day that we become so familiar with them that we stop seeing them as miracles from God and begin to view them as just the way things are. For example, I'll give you an example. 
Waking up in your own bed and standing on your own two feet, walking to your closet to put on the clothes that you own, to walking down the steps, to getting the food that you bought with the money that you possess, to opening the door to the home that God has given you, to getting into your car to drive safely to the job that you occupy. Listen, I don't know about you, but I've been so caught up before in what I think I don't have that I begin to see all the blessings I have and neglect them as miracles from God. I pray that I begin my day acknowledging and thanking God for the miracles, thanking for the miracle that I'm living, thanking him for the miracle for keeping me and providing for me. Because the truth is I stand before you as a living, breathing, walking, talking, moving miracle. And every day that you and I are alive is a miracle from our holy and righteous God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus. So the Pharisees continued to ask the former blind man this question. How are you able to see? And now at this point, the man I would assume is getting a little bit frustrated because if I had received my sight for the first time after never seeing anything before, and then I'm just bombarded with all these questions, I would be frustrated. And he answered them and said, I've already told you, and you did not hear. If I told you again, would you be his disciples also? And the Bible says that the Pharisees reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Now, the Pharisees may have seemed to be very wise to people back then, but to me, they don't really seem like the brightest people I've ever met. Their entire lifestyle was a contradiction because they're following God, but they're rejecting Jesus. But they weren't able to understand this. They were not able to understand who Jesus was or where he came from because instead of allowing themselves to have a spiritual encounter with Jesus, all they do was question that's all they would do when they saw Jesus. They would question him. And they understood what they wanted to understand, but nothing beyond that. They would glorify their good deeds, but bury the knowledge of their faults. The Pharisees were able to see with their natural eyes, but their spiritual eyes. Their spiritual eyes were shut by pride and arrogance to where they could not understand that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. So when the former, or for when the Pharisees said they knew not of where Jesus came from, the former blind man replied boldly saying, that's very strange. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man, Jesus, were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And when this man began to just drop these spiritual knowledge bombs on these Pharisees, all of these things that, he had, that had been revealed to him, these Pharisees, they rebuked him and said, you were born a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? You were born a total sinner. How dare you try to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. 
Now when Jesus heard that the man was thrown out of the synagogue, he went and found the man and asked him this question. Do you believe on the Son of God? And the man answered, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said to him, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Now notice how in this moment, when Jesus came back to him after the man had been thrown out of the synagogue, that the man didn't recognize that Jesus was the one who healed him. The blind man had not yet seen Jesus because by the time that he had come back from cleaning out his eyes at the pool of Siloam, Jesus had already left the scene. He was already gone. So when Jesus asked him, do you believe on the Son of God? The man replied by saying, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus had not yet revealed himself to the man until after the man spoke out his desire to know the one who healed him. Not just out of curiosity, but so that he could believe on him. The Pharisees could not know Jesus because all they would do was ask questions to attempt to get something on Jesus, not so they could believe on him. But this blind man who had an encounter with Jesus, who had an encounter with his creator, was desperate to know, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? When a miracle takes place in our lives, we can either be like the Pharisees who question the miracle, who can't receive the miracle, or we can be like the former blind man who recognizes his past of blindness, who knows his need for the one who healed him, who humbles down and prays to know Jesus and to believe on him. And after the man spoke his desire to know who the Son of God was, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And the man then said, Lord, I believe. And notice what he did next when he realized Jesus was the one who healed him. He worshipped him. When Jesus revealed himself to the man, Jesus went from being the one who healed him to becoming his healer. He could praise God all he wants for being a healer. But when it was revealed to him that Jesus, the Messiah, God manifested in the flesh, was the one who healed his blind eyes, he worshiped him as his healer. When you're healed spiritually, emotionally, physically, don't forget to worship the one who healed you. It's through our worship where we begin to understand who God truly is to us. He already is a healer. He already is a way maker. He already is a comforter. But when we worship him, it's through our worship, we begin to understand him as not only a healer, but as our healer, as our way maker, as our comforter. It's where we begin to understand God's love and goodness and mercy and grace toward us. Our praise that God is a provider turns into worship that says, God, you are my provider that you are my provider. And Jesus told him, I answered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they can see that they are blind. And now some of the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him say this and asked, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. 
The Pharisees were spiritually blind because they believed they were correct in thinking that they were doing right. They believed they were holy enough to do things on their own. But if they would have humbled themselves like the man who was naturally blind, they would be able to see their fallen nature. They would be able to understand that Jesus is the only way to true life. If they were like the blind man who gained a revelation of who Jesus was, that he surrendered to him because he sought to believe they would have worshipped Jesus the same. But the Pharisees could not worship Jesus the same because although they could see with their natural eyes, they were blinded spiritually. The Pharisees would have to humble down like the blind man if they ever wanted to follow Jesus, but they wouldn't, not by choice. But there was a Pharisee. He was a son of a Pharisee, and his name was Saul of Tarsus. Saul believed he followed God. He may have even thought that he loved God. He believed regarding the law that he was faultless. But Saul was involved in the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. He believed he followed the law of God, yet he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. He believed he was doing the things of God. He believed he was right in his own eyes, yet his spiritual eyes were shut by his pride and carnality. Saul was on his way to Damascus carrying letters that authorized him to kill Christians. And without any warning, without any type of thing to expect that this was going to happen, there shined round about him a light from heaven. Saul was about to have an encounter with his creator. But in order for Saul to receive what Jesus was going to reveal to him, he had to be made blind. The Pharisee Saul had to be made blind like the one he would throw out of the synagogue. He had to become blind like something he would view to be a total sinner in order to recognize and understand his own sin and faults. Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul replied, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Saul didn't ask who the Lord was like the other one who had received his sight did so that he could believe on him. Saul asked who the Lord was because he could hear him, but he could not see him. He no longer could be dependent on seeing what was in front of him. He could only be dependent on what he could hear above him. In that moment, Jesus revealed to Saul and what the Pharisees in John 9 were not able to receive. He revealed that the one Saul thinks he's following, he is actually persecuting. No Pharisee would receive this revelation unless they were made blind to the things around them and blind to what they once viewed to be true. And Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. It says his eyes were open and he saw no man. But it was not his natural eyes that opened. It was his spiritual eyes 
that were now open. When his faults were revealed, when he became like the blind man he would have shunned, when he realized he was a total sinner, his carnal eyes were blinded, but his spiritual eyes were open. He was forced to walk by faith and not by sight. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For beholdeth, he prayeth. Saul has just gone through the most traumatic change in his entire life. Jesus just revealed to him that everything he had been doing was completely wrong. That all the people he had surrounded himself were evil people and he now needed to be separated from them. His entire life started to be transformed from the world's mindset to now the things of God. And notice that all Jesus told Saul what to do was, after that he had blinded him, was to go into the city and that he would be told what to do next. So for three days, nothing had been told to him. For three days, Saul was waiting for the promise from Jesus that he would be told what to do next. Jesus gave Saul no time frame. Saul had to just wait. So what did he do during that time of waiting? The Bible says he prayed and he fasted. Saul chose to do the only thing he could do while he was blind, while he was broken, when he lost everything that he once deemed to be so important in his life. He prayed to the one who gave him the instruction to wait. You need help in a situation that you don't understand and that you can't seem to figure out and you're, you're broken and you're confused and you're hurting and you feel lost. Pray and fast, but do not forget to wait upon the Lord. Because Saul's not the only one with the promise on what to do next. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. It's so important that when we go through a season of brokenness and confusion that we don't give into some type of self-pity mentality. Thoughts like, we deserve this. We had this coming to us. We could never get over this. We can never make it through this alive. But what I've learned in my own life is that if God calls you to it, he will bring you through it. And he'll not only bring you through it, he'll bring you through it stronger than when you went into it. I'm not going to let my situation control me. Instead, I come boldly before the throne of grace. I'm going to pour my heart out to the one who created it. It's time we start sacrificing our time and what we are comfortable with and start breaking before the Lord because when you stand up on the other side of the battle, when you witness the release of your broken season through prayer and fasting, you will see the things of God clearer than you ever have seen before. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can see it now because I've experienced it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I know it. I've seen it. If God before me who can be against me I've seen it in my own life because I once was blind but now I can see it now I can see it because the blindness isn't to permanently blind you 
The brokenness isn't to permanently break you. It's to show the power of God through you. You know what's so powerful when Paul says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Paul knows firsthand that the brokenness and being uncomfortable is not to harm you. We can say, oh yeah, well the Lord blinded Saul because he was terrible and did all these awful things. He had a long time come that dirty little rotten scoundrel Saul. No, no, no. The blindness is what saved his life. It's what humbled him. His time of brokenness is what saved him from continuing a life of sin and destruction. He says, count it all joy because what Paul is saying that if it had not been for Jesus who made me blind in my time of pride and arrogance in my murderous mind and stubbornness. If it wasn't for Jesus who stopped me with his mercy and made me blind to what I was familiar with and what I had thought was right and what I thought was true, then I wouldn't be on my knees in repentance. If he hadn't allowed me to a place of heartache and brokenness, I wouldn't be seeking the one who could bind me up again. If I would not had to have waited upon the Lord, then I never would have known what it was like for him to renew my strength. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. I count it all joy though because I once was blind and the blindness only lasts for a moment. Weeping only endures for a night, but guess what? Joy comes in the morning. There's a promise in that. Weeping will come. Weeping will endure for a night, but there's a promise that joy comes in the morning. And I count it all joy. I count it all joy because I was blind, but now I can see. I'm not focused on the fact that I was blind. I focus on how it humbled me to now be able to see to see and the Lord said unto him arise and go into the street which is called straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus for behold he prayeth and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight then Ananias answered Lord I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And, there, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. And here Ananias is, is questioning the Lord saying, you know this man can kill us, right? He has the authority to bind anyone that calls on your name. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. If he receives his sight, he can kill us. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Saul prayed and fasted for three days, and in doing so, the vision that Ananias would come to him. And when Ananias came and put his hand on him and told Saul what to do next, the Bible says that he immediately received his sight. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever stop 
praying because it's through continual prayer that you will receive the miracle and transformation in your life. And not just that, but God will also give you faith. And when the miracle comes, you'll be able to receive it immediately, immediately. Saul's name became Paul, and when he was brought before the disciples, people had to do a double take. They didn't believe that Paul could be so dramatically changed. They had to ask if this man, Paul, if he was the one that was standing right in front of them in the same exact room, was the same man that destroyed Christians who persecuted them. They weren't sure if this was the same man because his demeanor changed. His attitude had shifted. He had to be made like the blind man in order to receive his true sight. And they are questioning and interrogating and wondering. But Paul is saying, I am he. I was the one who killed Christians. I am he. The one believed that they were following God, but actually were persecuting his very own church. I am the man that sought to murder Jesus' disciples, but now is spreading the good news of the one I once hated. I am he. And instead of being ashamed and letting my past define me, I'm going to use it as a testimony. I'm no longer the murderer. I'm no longer the manipulator. I'm no longer the liar because I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. I wonder if there's a witness. I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. Old things are passed away. His Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I once was blind, but guess what? Now I can see. Now I can see. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know what, I, I thank God Paul didn't allow his past to define him. Because if Paul would have allowed his past to define him, then half of the New Testament would not have been written. Half of it would not have been written. Because Paul is a prime example of when Jesus said, he came into this world so they that think they can see shall be made blind. Paul is a prime example of you do not have to be perfect. You do not have to have a perfect past to be chosen. Something we have to realize is that Jesus doesn't hold our past against us. He uses it for his glory. Paul was a Pharisee. Now, he could look at that and say, man, I'm just disappointed in who I was. I was such a terrible person. I murdered so many people. But, like, what good could come out of being a Pharisee? How, how can something so evil be used for good now? But what Paul now has is a unique perspective when he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has an experience of all sides of the word of God. The good things it references and the evil things it references. Because he's been the nasty, murderous, evil Pharisee. But when he was washed by the blood of the lamb, when he turned from his wicked ways, he then became a humbled, willing vessel for Jesus Christ. And his past isn't used to hinder him. Instead, he uses it to expose the Pharisees and the way they operated because he had an inside experience of how deceitful the Pharisees were. So instead of being unhappy with where you came from, use where you came from as a tool to help those who are struggling with what you were delivered from. 
The ones who struggled with addiction like you once struggled with addiction. The ones who struggle with keeping a pure mind like you used to struggle keeping a pure mind. The one who deals with suicidal thoughts like you once dealt with suicidal thoughts. Don't allow where you came from to hinder you in moving forward with what Jesus Christ has for you. Instead, use it to expose the lie of the addiction. To expose the deceitfulness of the depression and fear. You once were blind, but now you see. So expose the enemy's lie and his lies are saying that you can't be better than where you've come from. Expose the enemy's plot to confine others in sin. Expose how if the goodness of God was strong enough to save you from your sin, then he can save anyone else from any sin that they are going through. Hallelujah, Jesus. Don't allow what God brought you out of to just be a personal victory. Use your past to help others. Use it for the good. You know that verse we quote so often, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. We made a song out of it. Great song. Great song. Well, you know, we misquote that verse. I didn't know that until recently. We misquote that verse. This verse is found in the story of Joseph when he is talking to his brothers that were brought to him who had done all sorts of evil things to him. And this verse says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So all the terrible things that happened to Joseph, being sold into slavery, being falsely accused and thrown into jail, after all the evil things that came against Joseph in his journey, it humbled Joseph and brought him into where God wanted him to be. God will take your past mistakes he will take your past failures and he will use it to show the power of God through you. And he will not only use it for your good, but he will help it for others to minister to them through your testimony. Your past mistakes don't define you. It was to bring you to a place to refine you. Stop focusing on who you were and start focusing on God's mercies that you are no longer who you used to be. I'm not going to allow the enemy to use my past as a tool to taunt me or hinder me from what God has called me to be. I'm not defined by my past. You're not defined by your past. I'm no longer who I was. My past can't taunt me because back then I was blind, but now I can see. And since I can see, I'm gonna share the good news that God's mercy picked me up, that God's mercy set my feet on solid ground, that if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Paul became the very one he would murder, but he doesn't allow his past to condemn him. Instead, he declares, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So I'm not going to lament about who I was. Instead, I'm going to use where I came from to save much people alive, to tell others about how great my God is, how rich his mercy is, how powerful his love is. I'm not ashamed. I'm not condemned. I am forgiven. I am not the Pharisee who can't admit my mistakes. I want was blind but now I can see and that's that's what's so powerful when Paul says Christ committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us because Paul knew the love of Jesus towards him Christ's love was revealed to him on the road to Damascus Paul knows the love of Jesus for him because while he was on his way to send orders to the one to kill the ones that were following Jesus he was stopped by Jesus Christ himself 
Christ's love was revealed to him in that moment. And Jesus didn't stop him and, and blind him to punish him. Disciples, this man was not born blind so that he could be, so he because of some big sin that had been committed, it was to show the power of God through him. And Ananias' soul is not blinded right now so that he can't see you and kill you. It's to show the power of God through his life. It's to show the power of Jesus' mercy, to show the power of the opportunity to be humbled and transformed by Jesus. The power that even while Saul was in the middle of rejecting Christ, mercy stepped in and stopped him. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus sacrificed his life, which gave us a promise of forgiveness if we would repent, with no promise of us ever repenting. That's the love Paul is talking about. That's the love he is talking about. And I won't be much longer if musicians would like to come. When Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is speaking from experience. His past, the people he had murdered, the way of life he used to live, the families he had ripped apart for serving Jesus, despite everything he had done, despite everything that he used to be, Jesus still revealed and released his forgiveness and his mercy to him to where Paul is now saying, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from his love. And that while I was yet sinning, he loved me. Before I was born and I could even do anything for him, he loved me when I was rejecting him, he loved me. When I was broken, he loved me. When I was confused, he loved me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. You can't convince me, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God because I once was lost, but now I can see. And not only can I not be separated from his love, but his love found me while I was lost. And I was not condemned for being lost. Instead, I was shown loving mercy and forgiveness. I was blinded and broken so that I would humble myself before him so that I would break before him, so that I would see my sinful nature in the presence of a holy God. It's not to punish me. It's not to punish you. It's not to harm you. But it's meant to bring me to a place of repentance. And I'm not ashamed of my testimony because I am forgiven. You are forgiven. We once were blind, but guess what? Now we can see. Now we can see. The definition of testimony is a public recounting of a religious conversion or experience. Conversion means the process of changing or causing something to change from one form to another. It's a process. It's a process. In building your testimony, there is going to be a process of conversion or experience. The process will change you from one form into another. If the process involves waiting, Wait upon the Lord. He will take your weakness and change its form into his perfect strength. If the process involves breaking, break before the Lord. He will take your broken heart and he will begin to form it into being made whole. And if the process involves trusting, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
in this process. Let everything be done before the Lord because our strength comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. So when we repent and humble ourselves before the Lord, that's where we will begin to be transformed by his mercy. It's in repentance and humbling ourselves where we will begin to identify the areas in our lives that we think are right, but are actually far from it. It's when we will begin to see the true beauty of our testimony and his grace that brought us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We'll stop focusing on the untrue feeling of condemnation from where we came from, but rather start to see that if it had not been for Jesus, if it had not been for Jesus, where would I be? If it had not been for his amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but guess what? Now I can see. Now I can see. Why don't you stand and lift your hands towards heaven? Why don't you begin to worship the one who brought you out of slavery and bondage? Why don't you begin to worship the one who saved you from confusion and heartache? I wonder if there is someone who will come before the Lord right now and will humble their will to him and humble their self to him right now in the name of Jesus. That will seek the Lord with everything inside of them that says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. If there be any wicked way inside of me, God, I pray you'll pluck it out and give me good ground to be able to receive the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, Jesus. If you're going through an uncertain season right now and, and you don't know what to do and you can't figure everything out, I wonder if he will just break before the one who created you. Because if he created you, he can bind you up again. He can bind you up again. The season you're in won't last forever. Allow this season to refine you. Allow this season to bring you seeking your creator. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get weary in well-doing. This time is to close your natural eyes from this world and open your spiritual eyes to the things of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.